you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. I'm fired up today because I have an opportunity to, uh, to share some time with a gentleman that I actually uh, was blessed to be able to uh, guest on his podcast, which we're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, we were uh, introduced through a mutual connection, and I've quickly learned just how passionate he is about not only the things that he's doing, but the ways in which he's helping and supporting other people to do the things that they want to do. And so I'm just really looking forward to what we have in store for you today. Uh, so my guest is Paul Edwards. He is an international best-selling author. He's a podcast host of the Influencer Networking Secrets podcast. Uh, he is a coach himself, an entrepreneur. And so with that, Paul, welcome to the Excellence Mindset podcast. Ryan, thanks for having me. It's so good to be here. Awesome, man. So I gave everybody the, uh, the little one-liner title as to what it is you do, but why don't you elaborate on that a little bit and, and, uh, and that will allow us to launch into our conversation today. So just a little bit about you know, what you're spending your time on, what you're doing. I know there's a lot of things there, uh, but maybe you can just help us kind of uh, to open the door a little bit. I'd be delighted to do that. And I think probably um, I like to go back to a, a a way of explaining this I've heard uh, called mythic versus specific. Um, and, and all that means is that whatever your, your skill set and ability is, there's the mythic, which is like the umbrella, the overarching category. And then there's a specific where you actually apply that in your trade. Uh, so my mythic calling is communicator. And then that has a couple of different subsets that are uh, specific. A lot of it has to do with building people, inspiring them, professional development. So there's the coaching aspect. And then there's this lifelong love I've had of being on stage and being in front of an audience and connecting with them and inspiring them and, or making them laugh or, you know, reaching out and, and building that connectivity, that human touch, if you will. Uh, so that's another facet of it. Um, and then, of course, writing. I've been a writer my entire life. Um, wrote my first attempt at an autobiography at age eight. It was a little premature. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, there's but a lot to tell when you're eight. There was. I, I you know, I've got a nine-year-old now. I bet he could, he he's he's a good tail spinner. That one, he could uh, <laughs> he could probably write write an entire um, fictitious autobiography about himself. <laughs> um, Partially fictitious, but uh, anyway, yeah. So, so I guess that's the way I would categorize it. But um, what that's turned into for me is this uh, this business of simultaneously connecting with people and connecting people to each other, mm. right? And then on the flip side of that, there's this uh, there's this 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 constant. Uh, performing side of it. So um, hence the podcast, hence the book, um, hence the public speaking. Uh, and, and, and it just, it, they, they intertwine with each other and they sort of wax and wane depends on which hat I'm wearing. But I hope that answers your question to start with. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's helpful insight. I mean, obviously me knowing you uh, a little bit, it, it just, it continues to paint a, a more clear picture and, and supports everything that I've learned to date. But even for, you know, the audience listening, you know, this will, this will help to kind of open that door. 
So let's take, I was initially going to take one step back until um, the conversation we had right before we hit record. And so now I want to take a step way back uh, because mm -hmm. I think that um, as we dig into this and as people hear, this is going to begin to tell a really good story as to what I believe helps to, um, to develop people into high performers, into people with great mindset. Um, it's not a guarantee of that, but it's something that can definitely do that. So uh, you spent, uh, you said five years uh, in the military uh, with a couple of active deployments uh, in the Middle East. And so, uh, so maybe start by, so what was it? Uh, were you forced into the military? Like, were you the troubled child that your dad forced into the military or was that something that you desired to do? Like what, what was the, the kind of leaping point into that for you? Well, um, for starters, uh, I grew up in a, in a, in a home where, uh, we were not particularly connected to God. Um, and I also, uh, was not, I, I would actually have called myself very anti-military at one point. Mm. Uh, in my teenage years, just out of pride and looking for somebody to be to to scorn and be and be hateful of, but nine eleven changed all that. Um, I watched it happen. My sister was living in New Jersey, right across the Hudson River, when it happened. My parents were living probably an hour west of where the plane went down in Pennsylvania, and so it was kind of personal to me in that sense. You know, no, nobody that I personally knew was killed or got hurt, but. Uh, like you can remember that event changed life for mm -hmm. just about everybody in America and around the world. And, um, so anyway, not long after that, I started to feel like I, I should somehow be involved in this. I don't know. I didn't know how it was all going to happen. Um, right after nine 11, I went to live in Europe for a while. Um, my dad is British, so he passed on uh, British citizenship to me. Hmm. So I was able to go live there. And uh, over the time, as, as, as my days got short there, I looked at joining the British military. Ah. Um, but they don't treat their enlisted soldiers nearly as well as we treat ours. And this is hmm. what several Brits told me. This is not my, necessarily my opinion, but my observation. So I said, one of, the, one of the conditions I've got to meet is I never finished college after I left high school. So I've got to figure out a way to pay for college that doesn't involve going to my parents or getting, you know, in a boatload of debt. And Wait, don't worry military. about it. S somebody will just end up wiping that debt away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't help myself. No, no, it's fine. It, money grows on trees. as you know. So, um, uh, so anyway, the Brits didn't do that and they were humming and hawing and, you know, who does this American think he is trying to join our military? Um, he didn't go to Eton. He didn't go to Cambridge. Who does he think he is? Silly fellow. <laughs> so I said, okay, never mind that. And I joined the American military. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was a combination of things. Um, so I wasn't the, uh, I wasn't on the verge of going to prison. Um, and, and actually that's, that's a, an overblown myth. Yeah. Most people who join it are not on the verge of going to prison, but a lot of people who join it, myself included, um, are faced with a realization, both that you are, that we are young and don't know what to do with our lives. Uh, and we don't really know who to turn to, to figure it out. You know, because unless you've been raised in a really solid home where you have expert guidance from loving, sincere, 
wise parents who can shepherd you in the right direction. Um, and I'm not knocking my folks, you know, they did the best they could. They did try to tell me about things, but um, you end up kind of rudderless like mm-hmm. I was at that, at that stage. And I kept getting jobs from which I would either walk away because I didn't have the, the patience to stick with them or I'd get fired because I was too arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, well, if I join the military, I can't quit and I can't get fired. So there's a, you know, <laughs> I can develop some longevity and put down some roots and get some experience. And, and, and that was, you know, um, that was really what, what started because then I said, okay, now I know what I'm doing with my life for the next at least five and a half years. It's not going to change. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going AWOL. I'm not, you know, malingering. I'm not faking it. If I get deployed, I get deployed. Sure. And at that time, we all thought, well, if you get deployed to Iraq, you'll be there for, what, a couple months, and then it'll be all over, because that was what Desert Storm had been. Hmm. We had no idea of what we were getting into um, in early 2003 when we started hearing the rumors. And even when the invasion had gone through, we still thought, eh, six months, this will be done and dusted. So anyway, I hope that answers your question and, and gives the background to how I ended up joining. Yeah, yeah. So... there's a lot there that probably um, we could dig into at another time, but uh, how, so you you spend five years in the military, obviously during, you know, for our generation, one of the most charged times in active engagement, you know, with an enemy. And so that does a lot to a person. And, and yet, you know, five years later, you decide to uh, to leave. I know uh, that you continued on uh, in the reserves, um, but how do you make that transition from this headspace and mindset of, I mean, uh, uh, you know, oftentimes probably life preservation, uh, but you know, there there's a lot of uh, offensive aggression and just there's so much that goes into that. And so it's a very specific mindset. So how do you make that shift into, I think you stepped into uh, the world of insurance after that, um, which um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot to say there, but, but how, how do you do that? Like how, how does that happen? And what kinds of challenges did you feel yourself facing or, or, or maybe not at all? Maybe it was just really easy for you. Oh no. Um, well, I'll, I'll, chronologically, there was a break there. So I, okay. 2008, the summer of 2008 is when I leave active federal service. And uh, the first thing I did was I went and completed a college degree. So I went to Pacific Lutheran University. And this was just after the post 9-11 GI Bill. So now they're paying full, full tuition, full books, full and a salary, right? Wow. So I was basically making money for going to college, mm-hmm. right? To replace the income that I'd had um, as a soldier, which was which really- you, And which should be being done for people that are out serving our country and sacrificing themselves. They should be some of the first that are served and cared for, but- Well, that's and, just... and that's certainly the case now. I mean, ever since they enacted that post 9-11 GI Bill. How, uh, so that goes for two years. And then what happens is I finish my degree and I go in January of 2011. So we're talking about the bottom of the recession. Mm -hmm. And I got a job and it was with a job, you know, I had in the meantime become very passionate about getting into radio or communications, advertising, PR, something like that. Mm -hmm. I got a job with a PR firm in Tacoma and they chewed me up and spit me out in less than two months. Wow. 
And they never gave me a reason for it. They just said, it's not working out. And they, they cut me. So I spent the next several months unemployed. I finally got into selling media at the end of 2011. And I failed at that. So then that was when in 2012 was when I got my first job in the insurance business and I went to work for a sales office there. But you asked me about the transition. So um, the transition took me about four years okay. uh, and I actually went to a counselor. They offered this program up in Tacoma, um, free counseling for veterans. Um, and I got wind of it and I was really wrestling with a lot of frustration, uh, loneliness because you, you went, you're used to having this camaraderie of brotherhood around you. You're, you're used to a very strong sense of belonging, right? This is who I'm a part of. This is, this is where I make my contribution every single day. Something is required of me. I don't have to. And, and, you know, in, in the entrepreneur world, we talk about done for you. Um, there is so much done for you when you're in the military life, right? what clothes you're going to wear, how long your hair can be, what you can say and what you can't, when you can leave work and when you can't, how long you're going to be here, what you're going to do while you're there. Everything is laid out, structured. It's done for you like you wouldn't believe. Mm -hmm. And there's advantages and disadvantages to that because once you leave that environment, right, now so much of what used to be done for you, you have to learn again how to do it for yourself. Sure. So it's, 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 it's in that way, it's, it's loosely analogous to a, a crippling injury from which you eventually recover, but you have to learn how to walk or how to use parts of your body that where the, the nerves have, uh, have to rebuild to develop the same kind of reflexive and muscular and um, whatever else coordination that they previously had. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm going to skip a whole lot here, but I, I mean, I have to think that uh, first of all, the experience you had in in learning camaraderie and collaboration, servanthood, leadership, like so many things in the military uh, were so wonderful in just developing you as a human being. But I've got to imagine that that has just uh, uh, enabled you to help lead and coach other people to, and even to speak with uh, with this authority in ways that most people can't replicate, right? I mean, I mean, you just, you, you're disciplined uh, in a very unique way. And so do you, have you been able to utilize a lot of what you've learned through that experience in working with other people? Yes. Um, I'll, I'll relate it to a, a single experience that I can remember very, very clearly. And this was right before I would receive my first promotion to sergeant, which is the lowest ranking non-commissioned officer. So that's a managerial, you know, lower level manager role uh -huh. uh, for a civilian equivalent. Um, but I was the senior specialist. That's the rank right below it. I was the senior specialist and uh, got rebuked by one of my sergeants. And... Um, I forget exactly what it was for, but he had not specifically told me what to do. And so I tried to use the excuse that he had not specifically told me what to do. And he interrupted me and said, no, 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 you're, you're getting too, you're, you're too far along for that. Now, you know, what needs to be done. And if I'm not here, that means you tell yourself to do it. You don't wait for me to tell you to do it. If you know, it needs to be done, you tell yourself to do it. And I've never forgotten that. And then once they put the stripes on me, I understood, okay, there's no more waiting to be told to do something unless it's something that I don't know how to do or don't know to do because it's above my pay grade. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so in other words, once, especially as you ascend the ranks, what you begin doing is watching. If you're, if you're a specialist, you watch what the sergeants do. And if you're a sergeant, you watch what the staff sergeants do and so forth and so on. Uh-huh. And you pay attention because sooner or later, um, the hammer is going to fall on your head if yeah. you are caught off guard. Uh-huh. I took that with me into the civilian world. And I said, you know, whatever I'm good at, I don't need to be told or need permission to do what I know is right or to do what I know needs to be done. Um, now I might need guidance on exactly how I go about it. Sure. But if, if someone tells me very clearly, this is what you need to do. This is what needs to be done in order for you to get there. Um, then I didn't, I no, I no longer needed as I would have before the military for someone to, you know, prod me or, or, you know, push me into doing it. I push myself. Sure. And uh, as I, as I got into entrepreneurship, I remember um, Vince Del Monte, my coach was reminding me of that on one of his podcasts. He said, the hardest person to lead is yourself. But once you learn how to lead yourself, then others will begin to follow you. Yeah. Gosh, that's a gem that, that I mean, you know, as I coach people, um, particularly those that aspire to some sort of leadership or even are in a leadership role and maybe not performing at the level that they should be. Um, you know, that, that's one of the most challenging things, right? Is, you know, it's easy to identify problems. We all have them. Uh, unfortunately, we, we tend to, to move towards the negative. Um, even if there's a thousand great positive things that happen, we seem to isolate the one negative thing and that's the glaring issue. And I can think of cases right now in organizations that I'm coaching that I'm having this very issue. Mm-hmm. And it's so challenging, challenging to get people to reframe that mind like it's I understand there's a challenge first of all let's not make such a big deal of some of the things that you're making a big deal of because they're probably not but like if and this is simple I know this is said a lot but if you're not going to come to me with some sense of solution or you're not going to think of a way to solve the problem I don't even want to hear about the negative, right? And, yeah. and, and I think that's even something for ourselves as we're coaching or leading ourselves, as you said, which I think is such a wonderful thing for people to take away as they're listening today is like, there's plenty of challenge in our life and there are plenty mm-hmm. of obstacles and we need to stop necessarily thinking of the I can'ts, even though there's so much of this positive self-talk of I can, I can, I can. It's, it's almost like we're just saying it, not doing it. It's when we identify a challenge, we should first seek to find a way to solve the problem or overcome the challenge before we complain about the issue, right? I mean, that's just, it, mm-hmm. it seems so simple and yet it's just such a big challenge. Well, two things come to mind. I saw a quote this morning uh, that said the best way, the best kind of complaint you can lodge is to start fixing a problem, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, Which is to say, if you want people to begin to see that, you you know, and I've saw this so many times in the military, a bunch of GIs standing around, "Eh, this place sucks, you know, and then off to the side, there'd be one of them just plugging away, working on his truck. You know, getting his gear ready, sweeping a floor, cleaning a toilet, um, you know, burning the burning the waste and the thing. You know, it doesn't matter. Serving food, out there working, right? The best way um, I've heard Craig Ballantyne say, um, "Work beats worry, motion beats anxiety." As he's got a, he's got a saying like that, and and the, and the key thing there is to get into motion. Now, you can get into the doing the wrong work. Sure. Right. Trying to fix the right problem. And that's where 
the coach, the, the mentor and all of that uh, is really is, is important. And that's where, yes, you, you need a place, a soft place as a leader to be able to go and say, I'm mad. I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. I can't think my, my mind is clouded. I'm trapped in a goldfish bowl by myself. I don't, I, I, you know, and I did that just the other day. I went and met here with a local ally and mentor of mine. I've gone to him for years with this stuff. And I said, I'm just, I, I'm, 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 I feel like I'm at a dead end right now. And so he, he did what a great mentor does. And he asked questions mm-hmm. and he just kept asking me questions until I realized that the solution had been there all along. But my mind had got so clouded by so many other things that I was taking on that I couldn't think of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. So um, I both consult for and coach uh, a fairly large national organization, just one of their divisions or a couple of their divisions. And so I was hired in by the president of the division uh, to coach his employees. And yet we have, we've had these in the past, but yesterday we had just this wonderful conversation uh, in which he was doing that. You know, he, he called me because he's seeing these challenges out in the organization and he wants not just to bounce ideas off me. He's looking for me to reflect some things back to him in ways in which he can maybe change up a few things, but then also to help support him in, in enabling these people to be successful in the roles that they're in. And I love that about people. And I wish, and and this is something that I often try and work on for myself, is I wish more people were humble enough to engage other people to step through these things because we would see so much more fulfillment and so much more success in the work being done um, if people were just more willing to be humble enough to, to, to ask, you know, for the support and look for the resources to enable them to get better. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, and I, I hope I don't get too much off topic here, no. but um, I just recorded a podcast yesterday that's going to be out on my podcast next week, um, where I talk about uh, two disciplines, which I've renamed two humilities, hmm. um, that are necessary for, for leaders. Because at the end of the day, even though um, responsibility should rest on people who are in subordinate positions to follow the direction leaders give them, at the end of the day, whether you're civilian or military, um, leadership is is always going to ref, is always going to be reflected by results. And if you're getting poor results, somewhere there's something that leader has not tried or hasn't considered or hasn't you know adjusted. Yeah. And um, the 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 nice analogy, the physical analogy I have for this is what is my spare time hobby of body um, because in order to actually cultivate the kind of physique you want to be on stage, right? If you actually want to compete like I do, um, you have to attack that muscle from every angle. You can't just do the same exercise every time and you can't just do the same exercise the same way every time, right? So one day you've got to do it with free weights, another day with barbells, another day with resistance bands, another way with body weight and on and on and on. Well, so the analogy there is that a leader needs to attack uh, the entropy of his subordinates, his organization, his company, his, his unit, whatever, from multiple different angles. And most leaders are just not qualified to do this, right? And, most, and, and not because they're just, they're lazy or uh, they, they hate the idea. It's because they don't know. Because yeah. they're learning in turn from other people who didn't know that. Um, but... Uh, to, 
to basically make this happen, I, I, I use the illustration of these two disciplines and I call them the humility of silence and the humility of asking questions. Hmm. And the humility of silence basically refer, refers to a leader's ability to not respond when most people would. Hmm. And it's not that you came absolutely dead silent. It's that you, you acknowledge what people are saying and internally you feel the, the, the rush to say, well, I know the answer to that and it's not, and you're wrong, but you don't say it. You just withhold it, right? You, you remain silent and you let people speak because you understand that 80% of the time on average, a human being who's saying something or asking you something already knows the answer. Mm. It's locked inside of them. They can't get to it, yeah. but it's in there, right? And so you have to exercise that muscle of saying, of saying, I hear what you're saying, yeah, but not responding to it. Because the best kind, you know this from sales, the best customer, the best buying signal you can, you can get from a customer is when they are buying into it, not you. You're not yeah. pushing it on them, right? It's the same thing. And then the, the, the same thing with the humility of asking questions. You take statements that you would make as dictatorial orders or this is how it's going to be. And you simply ask, yeah. right? And, and they're almost always open-ended questions rather than I leave closed-ended questions that have a yes or no answer to lawyers and cops. Everybody else in leadership <laughs> right, should be, should be asking open-ended questions specifically that begin with who, what, why or how yep right so anyway that's a that's an example of what i of what i'm hearing as i listen to you talk about that yeah which i I have something i want to go back to but before i do just to continue on the thought like which i think is so important for coaches right i I think that oftentimes i was actually having a, a consultation with a young man the other day that was looking for a coach and i told him i said one of the first things that i said to him was uh, after he told me your story and what his needs were and why he wanted a coach, I said, look it. I said, the two things I'm not is a babysitter, though I will hold you accountable and support you in where you want to go. I said, the other thing is I'm not here to tell you what to do. So if you're looking for somebody to tell you what to do, you're hiring the wrong person. I said, yeah. my goal here is to help you uncover and unveil the things that are already inside of you and enable you to build upon those things to become all that you want to be, right? And so I love that you said that because great leadership is that way, a great coach is that way. I mean, that's just absolutely what we need to be looking for as we continue to grow as wonderful leaders, as wonderful people, right? I mean, that's that's a people thing. Shut up and then ask open-ended questions, right? I mean, very simply. I know you didn't say that, but I get to say that. Um, Okay, but before we go any farther, because I cannot let this one go. You bodybuild? Yeah, yeah, I'm a physique competitor. Like paint yourself like really dark brown color and stand Uh up on, no way. Yeah, yeah, if you want to see it, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't do much hawking of this. I just do it because I love it. You know, yeah. uh, people have said you should try becoming a fitness coach. I'm like, I don't want to be a fitness coach. <laughs> I just, I just love flexing and 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 seeing musculature develop on my body. And then I like getting up and yeah, we did. The, I did the spray tan. I did the, I hit the stage poses. Got the music playing. Big old grin on my face. You know, and uh, and really, this is this is the interesting thing. I was thinking about this the other day, Ryan. Um, there's not many sports 
besides golf or tennis that you can play into your 70s or 80s. But the interesting thing about bodybuilding is that there are, I know six, I I don't know any personally, but I've seen on stage at competitions that I've attended, there are are men and women in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who are still doing it. And the bodybuilding community is totally in support of them. I mean, just Mm -hmm. raucous rounds of applause for people at that age still willing to and able to exert that kind of uh, control, discipline, and forcing their bodies to defy the law of entropy long past the physical prime of the average man or woman. And I was just thinking, you know, um, I I, I suppose when I'm that age, I won't go strutting around with my shirt off necessarily in public. But if I can do it on a stage where a bunch of young people are just going to go bananas and say, wow, that's amazing. Hey, you know, I'll do it. So that is so awesome. And and I think, again, I mean, you say it and I'm like, I would have never assumed that out of you. But <laughs> I, I think it, it just it makes so much sense because, I mean, you know, probably more than anything, you know, it is about the discipline and you have to be so disciplined in order to uh, to commit yourself to that and to achieve results. So I love that. Maybe you're going to have to share with me some sort of link we can pop into the show notes so people can go see you at your last competition or something like that. It's it's easy. I have an Instagram page. I don't do much with it, but it's it's uh, Paul Edwards Fitness. Um, if you look that up on Instagram, I've got a bunch of pictures from my last show and my evolution. Because I was three years ago, I was sixty pounds heavier than I am now, and I was about twenty six percent body fat. And I lost all of that, and I've stayed around twelve percent body fat now for well over a, two years, actually going on. And uh, you know, I, I feel way better at thirty nine. Younger, stronger, more flexible, more oxygenated, more youthful at 39 than I did at 33 when I, the very first time I started doing powerlifting. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I love to find out things like that, especially when they are so spontaneous in the middle of a conversation like this. So that's great. Um, okay. So uh, I do want to talk uh, just a little bit about two more things. Uh, so one is this international best-selling book. Uh, influencer networking secrets. And I know that, so I I have a lot of opinion around people writing nowadays because uh, too often people are just kind of uh, using it as a throwaway business card and, you know, they're having, anyway, I'm not going to get into it too much, but I know from talking to you previously and the little bit I've read into the book, you've taken this really seriously and you've really committed to producing something great. And so uh, why was that so important to you? And, and maybe what have been, what have been some of the um, positive outcomes and maybe even challenges along the way um, as you have gotten to the place you're at with the book? Well, so actually this book is, is, is a second iteration of the first one that I wrote. Uh, so it was originally called 10 Secrets to Networking Success, um, which was a pretty clear and distinct title. Um, and locally, I was able to sell, you know, a, a huge fistful of copies to, uh, of it to my network that I'd built up here in Olympia through the insurance business. And so the very... Uh, Probably just over, just under a year ago, so September of 2018, I had a big launch event at a local uh, venue hall and, and um, you know, did, a, did an offering at the end of it for um, uh, an enhanced uh, coaching slash, uh, you know, various uh, intellectual property, what do you, what do you call it, the intellectuals, um, supplemental 
type of PDF booklets and stuff like that that would go along with the book. And I got probably about a 10% response to that, which is a great wow, start. For the that is. I can do it. And then after that, ever, ever since then, uh, I haven't made a penny off of it. <laughs> now, um, these days, that's not a surprise because I'm not even marketing it. I don't even mention it. There's, there's no, I, I deleted all the photos off of my, you know, off of Instagram and Facebook and all that. There's no, I mean, y- you would have to know me personally and know a lot about me to know that I even wrote the book. Hmm. Um, but in the interim, Between then and now, right after that event was over, I immediately started trying to market it online uh, through social media and get organic, some degree of organic interest that would give me a sign. Okay, there's there's more to this, and I got absolutely nothing. Nobody was interested, and I'm and we're not talking. I posted once a week. We're talking every day, three times a day or more. Wow. I was posting about it, you know, offering the link. Nobody was buying it. So I said, okay, um, something, something is insufficient here. Something's not right. And, and, and obviously, the way I'm going about it in the day and age, the, tra- the time I'm trying to do it, that's not going to cut the mustard, right? Mm-hmm. The technology is too advanced. The method of marketing has changed. The marketplace itself has changed. And to, to reference what you mentioned there about the book being a, a throwaway business card type of thing, um, I certainly wanted to follow that the model in the sense that I wanted people to read this and say, I want to know more about this guy. Mm-hmm. I want to find out about what he does and whether or not he can help me. Um, however, I already had a lot of the book written and a lot of it is very much advisory uh, already, you know, and, it, and it's, and it's very much stuff that I think you could look at, you know, if you're, if you're independent, uh, research skills are sufficient. You could look up most of this stuff online. You don't need to even put in your email address to get a book, you know, to, <laughs> to have it all gathered in one place. Sure. Um, so, uh, but what I did, but what I did realize was that, um, once I had some degree of credibility by virtue of the fact that a whole lot of people I don't know were interested enough to pick it up and read it, um, that would give me a better feeling as to whether or not what I was bringing to the marketplace really had it carried any weight. Hmm. So, um, I get a little bit long winded in this. It's a long way of saying, um, I, I went this time, I went through a professional publisher and uh, PR and, and we built it up to become a bestseller on Amazon in a whole bunch of different countries and a whole bunch of different categories, which was a really, it was a really great feeling. Mm-hmm. And what that has, what that has enabled for me, um, when combined with my podcast, the Influencer Networking Secrets podcast, um, is, a, a, again, going back to that whole double whammy, I'm, this is an expression of who I am. And here is a, a live record or recorded version of it where mm. my conversations and my ability as a connector can start to shine. Yeah. And so uh, I, I hope I haven't drifted too far off the question you asked. Uh-huh. Am I answering that? Is that giving oh, you? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, um, it's, it's now an international bestseller. Um, it's, it's certainly nothing that I didn't work long hours and, and, and submit to people better more experienced than I was to get a good format for it. So it's pleasant to read. Mm. (laughs) Um, And it's all real. It's, I mean, the people in it are all real that I mentioned and the experiences and the stories are all real. 
And they're, they're mostly versions of how when I was alone, when I was just making it up, when I was winging it, improvising, using my military discipline, but not really fixing the problem, mm-hmm. I went out and made a mess of things in terms of building relationships. Mm-hmm. But when I went and joined masterminds and when I became a coach to others as well as coached by others, when I invested time, talent, and treasure into becoming the kind of person that people would want to be associated with, be connected to in business, then I have the stories at the end of the chapters that show this actually turned out very, very well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so uh, I do want to wrap with a final question. Uh, So as you look forward, so you've accomplished a lot in a reasonably short period of time. Um, uh, In today's day and age, people think a short period of time is six months from zero to hero, and that's just not real. Uh, but, But realistically, in a pretty short period of time, you've accomplished a lot. You're running a successful business, a family man, uh, I know that you're deeply invested into church and faith is a, is a big part of your life. As you look to the next season, you know, what, what are you hopeful for? Um, and, you know, m- maybe what's that one exciting thing that you're, that you're looking forward to uh, as you look ahead? Well, I'll answer this by saying that uh, I believe, as you and I have talked about, that uh, God gives people names. And he gave me a name recently a tree in due season Hmm. and uh there's a book if i can look at it here real quick yeah reforesting faith so a free plug here for the author who is matthew sleeth don't know if you've ever heard of him Uh -uh. um he came to our church and spoke uh probably about four or five days after i got this name and uh it was a it was a brilliant expose on how several newer translations of the bible have served to obscure how frequently scripture makes use of trees as a as as a physical reality to illustrate a spiritual one and you know I, Psalm 1 has been huge in my life, and, and it says, he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, and his, his vine shall not wither, and his, his bough shall bring forth fruit in due season, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, so that's the theme for me. And all it means is that at some point, um, and, I'm, and in some ways I'm already there, and then I'm growing into it, um, I'm just going to become a tree to an awful lot of people, mm. a place that they can go for nourishment, shade, nutrition, you know, uh, what, whatever else you can get from a tree, right? Because I stay close to the source, because I stay close to the river, which is the representative of God. Yeah. Um, so actually, I, I wish I had specifics, but what I have again is the mythic and then the specific tends to reveal itself over time. Um, but I can see coaching as a part of that. And I can see interviewing as a part of that. And I can see writing as a part of that. And I can see uh, public speaking and speaking to audiences as a part of that, because that's how an awful lot of people on the planet get that kind of nutrition. It's mm-hmm. not physical eating food. It's, it's spiritual uh, eating wisdom and wisdom is a tree of life to those who find them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that answer. I actually think that that was a wonderful, wonderful place to to finish because, again, in the short time that I've gotten to know you, I I, I can see the the wisdom that 
is there the expertise that you have and have developed and continue to craft, but then also your desire to want to encourage and support others in the ways that you make connections. You're just such a fantastic connector and, uh, and such an authentic person in doing that. So I really appreciate you and just thank you so much for, um, for reaching out, for connecting, for first inviting me onto your podcast, which I hope people you know, have had a chance to listen to. And then now for, you know, you being willing to come on mine and sharing some time today, it just, it has, it's been so wonderful. So thank you, Paul, so much. I appreciate that, Ryan. For anyone interested, uh, there is a free copy of my book, Business Beyond Business. Um, if you go to my website, which is the Paul S, as in Sam Edwards.com, uh, all you got to do is sign up for the mailing list or you can text. I have a text, uh, the letters RGE to 66866. And RGE stands for Radically Generous Entrepreneur, which is my client avatar, as well as uh, what I call most people like you who just uh, are. Uh, super over and above givers. Um, and that's, that's, there's a story in success magazine a while back that says exactly that the top, 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 most high performers on the planet are the, also some of the biggest givers on, on the planet. So mm. We definitely can't do enough of it. Um, and I'll make sure to link uh, those two things as well as uh, some of the other things that we've discussed in the podcast uh, today into the show notes, ways to contact Paul directly. Um, so again, Paul, thank you so much. Just, you know, appreciate all that you are and all that you're doing. And I look forward to continuing to build on our relationship. So thank you. Thank you, Ryan. It's been a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, this wraps up another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. And as always, please feel free to reach out, connect with my guest, Paul Edwards, today. Feel free to provide any feedback to me that you have. Leave a review, good, bad, or indifferent. I just want to hear from you and be able to continue providing as good of content and guests as I can along the way. So until next time, make sure that you get out there and crush it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.